Hello and welcome back to another episode of War Stories with Brax. This is Brax. It is November 17th, 2020. This is episode 8. And some news for you guys is uh, I have set up a Patreon account. So if this is something that you enjoy and you'd like to help out, uh, the link will be in the description below. Um, I'd like to say thank you to my first two patrons, Bambi and Luigi. Uh, that's great that you guys helped out. That's awesome. I can't thank you enough. Um, another thing kind of admin related is if you ever have any questions, <clears throat> write a comment. If, uh, I always post each episode on my Facebook. So if you have a comment about some or a question about something that I asked or something that I talked about, then, uh, go ahead and ask me and I'll try to answer to the best of my opinion or best of my uh, ability, send you a link or send you something. Um, so either on the YouTube or on the Facebook for the episode, which, whichever one. So, all right, I left you guys. It was the middle ish of November and I had come back. We had lost three Marines and you know, my company, had gotten, oh, another thing before I get into it, um, I'd like to apologize for the sound quality of my interview with uh, Montana. Not only was the volume on his side screwed up, but it was also out of time and there was sort of an echo. Um, so we're experimenting with new stuff, um, trying to keep it free, trying to keep it cheap for now. Um, but I am working on getting better equipment, better programs, better stuff as time goes on. Uh, I hope you still enjoyed us talking though. Um, so back to the timeline, it's the middle-ish of November, and we had just had that issue, which uh, I talked about and then Montana talked about, where we kind of had like a standoff against the rest of my uh, squad, um, and it just turned out that we didn't do anything and those guys got away. So during this time, there was this huge schism between us and echo company fox if any of you are listening i don't mean any anything negative but we just didn't really know what you guys were doing over there um we knew that you guys were getting mortared a lot and that you guys were losing guys just like us but we didn't have any interaction with you because you're on the other side of the river well echo we kept hearing stories from our mobile units that would go up there and do work with them and all these awesome stories about Captain Tracy, um, about how he was just so aggressive against the bad guys, about how he wouldn't let his guys come back in the wire unless they, you know, got two kills, uh, after some of his Marines were killed. Um, there's a story about how he ran out of the base by himself. He just grabbed a radio and just ran out to meet one of his squads that was, uh, under attack, <clears throat> ran through the city by himself. And uh, the one that we liked the most, or that we got the most entertainment out of and enjoy, which is kind of messed up, is they would when they would kill somebody, they'd strap them to the front of their Humvees, and they would drive around with like a dude all shot up, kind of like a deer on the front of a truck. But they'd drive around the city with a dude strapped to the front of their vehicle, dead, and they had a loudspeaker, and they'd basically be saying, if you guys mess with us, this is what's going to happen. And then they would go to the mosque because it is against Islam to not get buried the day that you die. 
if you don't get buried the day that you die, you basically don't get to go to heaven. So they would always pile pile them, or if there's only one, they'd, they'd put them on the mosque doorstep so they could get to heaven, um, which I think thought was pretty cool that we did that for them. Um, but what was weird was that we were getting, we were hearing these stories in the Lance Corporal on the ground, and from our mobile guys, our 5th platoon, but we were getting a completely different story from our CO. Our CO was straight, I don't know if he was lying to us or if he just had selective hearing, but he was telling us, oh, you guys you guys want me to be like him? Well, he's under investigation, he's going to go to jail forever, da 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 And at the time, I had no idea what that meant, and I was kind of just like, yeah, but no one's really stopping him, and... His guys are killing the bad guys that are killing that killed his guys, and there was sort of this transfer of enemy action from Echo Company down to Golf because we were a little bit more handcuffed than Echo was. They were, you know, they were pushed to be really aggressive, and we were pushed to like we have to have positive ID. Like, how many rounds did you shoot? Oh my God, you know, our CO we we called him a Haji lover, which is a derogatory term for. Somebody who loves, you know, the Iraqis, which, what it stands for, what a haji is, well, I guess you have to learn what a hajj is. So the hajj is the pilgrimage that Muslims do to Mecca. So once they do that for the rest of their lives, they'll be called a haji. So it's actually a term of endearment, but, you know, we used it against our CO because we felt like he chose the Iraqis over us. We felt like he chose... Basically everybody over us. You've already heard me rant about him. I don't want to get too into it. Later in this episode, I'm going to get real into it. But, uh... So, we were hearing all these different things. And we were kind of freaked out. That our CO didn't have our back. And then... The weather changed. That was another thing that happened right around this time. Was I went up to Mosul, which was really cold. And then when I came back down, it's like I brought the cold weather with me. And all of a sudden, it's down in the 40s. Maybe not that cold, but it was, you know, 50s, 40s, where it was when we first got there in the hundreds. And the wind was usually pretty... The wind was pretty strong all the time there in Iraq. Um, and so we started dressing warmer. We started wearing... Uh, warming layers underneath our camis, and we started wearing a beanie underneath our helmet, which was kind of strange. Um, and I actually got in trouble one time because we went to post for our our uh, pre-post shift briefing, which is where you come in and they're like, well, the base has been attacked this many times since you were last on post, and kind of like a pre-patrol uh, briefing and... Uh, you know, PCCs, PCI, so we got checked for everything. And that also, they'd also let you know, like, what the situation was, who was outside the wire, what, what areas they were in, so you didn't shoot into those areas and accidentally hit somebody. Um, and I remember we would all, we all had our helmets off, and I went to post, and as soon as I got to post, I think it was Snyder, Snyder looked at me, and he's like, did you forget your helmet? And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, they called on the radio. They told me to see if you had your helmet. Because I had left my helmet down at the base. Because it was like 3 in the morning. I was dog tired. 
I had a beanie on my head, so it felt like I had something on my head, and I left my helmet down there, so I got in trouble, I had to do working parties and stuff, which sucked. So then, we, it's time for the big operation, and this is where, you know, we were all expecting tons of casualties, we were expecting, like Fallujah, we were expecting them to stick around and fight, and we had some army units attached to us. We had a, 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 a psyops, so psychological operations Humvee attached to us, which had loudspeakers on it that we could use to send propaganda, but we could also use it to send music like rock and roll music. Um, like what they did to, was it Norieva down in Panama or I don't know somewhere that, you know we've used music before like the FBI used the music against the Branch Davidians but they also use like slaughtering rabbit noises and stuff well in Fallujah I guess they use the laugh from the end of the movie Predator with Arnold Schwarzenegger where he, the Predator blows himself up they use that and the Humvee would drive around at night and there was that laugh um, just to mess with the insurgents so we had one of those Humvees, so we were stoked on that. So we pushed out, and this is also when uh, Golf Company 2-4, so remember 2nd Battalion, 4th Marines came and augmented us while well, it was their golf company. And so to alleviate any confusion, their call sign was Joker. So we were golf, you know, I was golf 3-2, and then Joker, same platoon, same squad would be Joker 3-2. So that way we never got confused on the radio. And we also had tanks, which was awesome because we basically never had tanks up until that point. Um, and we uh, we pushed to the south of the city, and we um, got online, and that's when they they were finishing up the berm around the city right at the same time, and they built a new TCP, um, which I'll talk about in later episodes. Uh, and we basically started right there online, and we just started pushing due north. And so it was Joker Company was on the east side of the city, and we were on the west side. And we basically split the city in half. And the city itself started, it was, a, it was like a pretty wide city, but then it thinned out when it got near the bridge that was at the north side of our fob. And then you went over to Bonnie D., and that's where the you know the city became really thin along the river until you hit uh, downtown Haditha, and then it got big again. So the plan was, Joker Company would come with us. We'd be online, we'd with the tanks, and we'd push forward through the city north. And then they would peel off when it got thin, and we would continue north. And then they would continue clearing with Echo Company to the north of us when the city widened back up. And it was normal because, you know, we crept into the city and we were also giving people a uh, warning. We, we let them know about three days in advance that we were coming. We said, hey, if you don't want to stick around and fight, then get out because we're not, we're not letting people in and out of the city. So stock up on food if you're going to stay. And I remember this is, you know, another reason why I don't trust the media anymore was the day we started the operation, the media was already saying that we had been starving them for multiple days, even though we gave them multiple days to stock up on food before we cleared the city. So I thought that was pretty 
fucking typical. But uh, we start pushing up, and there's just, I mean, I had never seen so many Marines at once, like, doing something together. So that was kind of cool. And we had tanks, and we were, like, rolling in the city. And we literally were kicking down every single door. Um, in the video that I shared on YouTube, there's the scene where there's just tons of Marines walking in every different direction and we're like breaking down what looked like uh, garage doors. That was that very first day of the operation. And then we made it a point to bring the, uh, the camera because we were like, we're about to get some just like in Fallujah, just like our heroes in Fallujah. Well, then nothing, you know, nothing happened the first day. So we make it a probably, I don't know, 300 yards into the city on the first day. Because it's like, it's slow going, you know, you're kicking down every door, we're moving every piece of furniture, we're looking for caches, we're looking for people hiding, and we're clearing the houses as if they're going to be occupied by militants. And we're moving north, and so it's the first night, we, we bed down, and I'm able to get some sleep that night. Well, I get shook and awake. And they're like, hey, we need you to move over to the other squad's position. Because we were about, I'd say the squads were each about 50 yards apart in the city. So they weren't, we weren't like next door to each other, but we were close enough to where we could see we had intersecting fields of fire and stuff. So I got woken up because one of the other squads had lost Phil. And what losing Phil is is the radios had internal integral batteries, but they also had the big major batteries for powering the radios. And the crypto is a program, like an operating system, that you load into the radio, and it scrambles your stuff. I think I talked about that before. But it scrambles your dialogue so that nobody who's on that frequency can understand it unless they have the same crypto. Well... There are certain ways that you're supposed to change the batteries to where you don't lose crypto. Also, there are certain buttons that you push, like if you're about to get captured by the insurgents or the Russians or the Chinese or something, you zero out the radio so they can't get our top secret program, right? And there were certain dudes, Travis, I'm pretty sure, Travis Washington, I think more so Travis, though, that as soon as they looked at a radio the wrong way, it lost Phil. So if they ever took a radio to make a call, the Phil would be lost. You could basically, it was like clockwork. And so I get shook and awake because one of the other squads has lost Phil. So I have to sneak across, fix their radio, can't fix it, get with the company, get the Crazy 10, which is like the pro, the the little machine that holds the crypto in it, loaded the crypto up, got to go back to my place, time to go on shift. So I didn't really get any sleep that first night. So the second day, <clears throat> it's more of the same. We're just, you know, we're, we're just clearing house by house. It's slow going. We're just clearing, you know, every house kind of blends into, looks, you know, everything just kind of became one continuous movement. And I don't think, well, again, nothing happened that second day. So then <clears throat> we do the same thing. We bed down, we get up, we start clearing the third day. And we're, you know, we're about 
I don't know, quarter way through the city or something like that. And we're clearing, and and the CEO and a lot of the um, because we basically had a tank on each each parallel road heading north, moving with the grunts, and then on the main drag in the center of the city is kind of where the command group was. Uh, so H and S platoon, and you had the CO in his Humvee, and you had uh, you know the gunny, and you had extra ammo. They had medical stuff. First sergeant was there ready to get casualties out. Um, and as we're moving north, they get attacked from the south. With a, with a pipe bomb or a grenade or something. Someone threw it over the wall at them near one of the mosques. So it was pretty obvious that we allowed something to get through. Either they snuck through in the middle of the night or we just missed a cache and somebody grabbed it. Because another thing we were doing was we were, I think, Montana and I were talking about it recently because he was like the bat commander or bat team or something like that but there was a program where you did an iris scan and it printed out ids so we were also iris scanning everybody seeing if they were on the wanted list and giving them an id every single person in the entire city so we were letting people stay in their homes it's not like we were grabbing them and taking them away now if anybody popped up on the wanted list we did take them away and we actually did nab lots of people during this operation but nobody fought they had learned up until this point until they attacked from the rear which just goes to show you that they were kind of that was like an f you to us but we keep moving that day and then all of a sudden our first sergeant gets this wild idea he's like you guys are working so hard you know i'm going to make sure you all get hot chow and we're like well where the fuck you been for the last three months dog sweet so and but the idea sounds okay cool so a little bit of troop welfare we are doing long days you know we're basically getting up at four in the morning and we're on our feet until probably 10 at night just constantly clearing house after house after house with no breaks like we weren't patrolling when we were sitting down and resting and watching we were literally all day moving furniture using it as an excuse to break anything that looked valuable in every single house because we were all pissed um, don't condone that these days, but we were young, abused men. <laughs> um, and so the way that it's going to work out is we're going to, my, my squad was going to be security in the, in the house for the night and the cooks were going to come out. And I think they made like ribs, if I remember correctly. And it was also where the, uh, headquarters element bedded down they bedded down with us it was a big ass house i don't know if it was pre-arranged before the operation but the house was big and they also had an american style toilet because a little fun fact is most of the world doesn't use toilets like we do <laughs> most of the world just uses like a hole in the ground and they're porcelain they're nice but it's just a hole so they squat to pee and they squat to shit whereas we like to stand when we pee and we like to sit down on a throne when we shit but we come into the house and it's like, it's like I said, the idea was good, but the execution is just idiotic. And so instead of having a squad replace each squad as they leave their position, 
each squad, one at a time, just came to the house to eat. And so we were just leaving these huge holes in the fucking, in the line. Like these massive, like, over 100 yard holes where anybody could walk right down, you know, right down the road that's in between where a squad should be. We're just leaving it open so that we can go get this warm chow. And I remember looking down from, I was on post on the roof and looking down and it looked kind of badass because there was a tank parked right out front in the middle of the main street, you know, scanning back and forth with its optics. But then there's just like an actual chow line in this, in this uh, room or not in this room, in this yard where all it took was for them to throw a pipe bomb down from the building right next to us or right in front of us and kill like fucking a whole squad. (laughs) So luckily it didn't happen. I mean, we did have a tank right there, but still, the way the city was, they could they could get right on top of you, hit you with something, and get away. They were real slick like that. <clears throat> well, it doesn't happen, but what does happen is every single motherfucker that comes to get fucking ribs takes a shit in the American-style toilet, right? Which, no harm, no foul, but their plumbing isn't the same as ours. They don't have good working sewers like we do. So the toilet's clogged with a hundred shits or, you know, 50 shits. I don't even know how many shits. And so they, they need someone to clean it. And because that one time I had forgotten to wear my helmet when I went to my post, I had to play Rochambeau against Runyon, who had, who was the radio operator that lost Phil that I got woken up on the first night of the operation. Cause he was, he was kind of a fuck up, a lot more of a fuck up than I was. Good dude. Love him to death. Great guy. But, you know, he got in trouble a lot for just being kind of, just kind of a fuck up. You know, he's just kind of a squirrely dude. And so we Rochambeau and I fucking lose. So the CO is so distraught because the owner of the house is freaking out that his toilet's clogged that he hands me a medical glove and a trash bag and he's like, get all that shit out of there. So I just have to scoop all that fucking shit out of the goddamn toilet. And I was pissed. I didn't, you know, we had been busting our asses. I already fucking hated the CO. And then he made me do that. And so I was like thinking, what can I do? Like, dude, you could drop a grenade down in there and just blow his fucking toilet up. That's one thing you could do. And I don't, and I was like really contemplating it. And then I came out and I'm like, well, another thing you could do is you could walk out to where the CO's gear is sitting and you could just dump this shit right on his fucking flak jacket and his radio and his magazines and shit. And so I actually walked out and like walked into where the CO was with all the, you know, the top brass of the company. And I like gave him a dirt, like I just like stared him down holding this bag of shit. He's like, what do you want? You know, and he's like, he looked at me like, what? And I'm like. And I just was like, dude, you fucking motherfucker. Like, I want to dump this shit on you so bad, but I know that I'll go to jail. So, <clears throat> I fucking pushed out on that, but I was so pissed. And then, eventually, this is where my, my you know, our seniors were good leaders. And they were like, okay, you're done. Running, you fucking take over. Because it was complete bullshit. Like, why the fuck was I elbow, you know, just scooping this shit up? Like, who cares if his toilet's broken? Who gives a shit? We're clearing the fucking city. And they, these people don't like us anyways. So, yeah. <clears throat> so we continue pushing north. And 
I want to say that we actually got, uh, you know, it was a handful of more days of just nothing. And we weren't finding any weapons caches. We weren't finding anything. The whole city. We're just moving north. Nothing's happening. But we were convinced that as soon as we crossed the bridge into Bonnie D, that that's where they'll fight. And uh, we kept we kept pushing north, and we eventually got to even with the fob. And I don't even remember. I think it, it was like seven plus days at this point, maybe a little bit less. But we came in the wire, and I think we actually slept a night at the fob. And then we continued the next day. We pushed out because basically the city ended, and then you have to push across the two. There was a walking bridge, and there was the long bridge that I had already talked about. And so my my platoon went on the the walking side on the walking bridge, and that's where I took those cool. You know, we ran across that. We cleared across, expecting to get lit up. Still didn't get lit up. Um, the tanks caught up with us. And we continued pushing north, and we were, um, so another thing that I can't remember if it was already in action or if we just had started shooting dogs. So at one point in the deployment, we had Operation Mutt Cut, which actually came down from higher that we were ordered to kill every single dog in the city. That's people's pets, that's every single dog, because the insurgents were using them to uh, give away our positions at night. So when you're sneaking around at night and you're being all quiet and you, you know, dogs hear you or they smell you or whatever and they're just wild, they're all just wild dogs everywhere. It's almost like when the war started, everyone just let their dogs go. So you had like packs of dogs that was like a German Shepherd with like a poodle, with like a little dog, you know, with a Border Collie. It was all these like dogs that you recognize but they were just wild <clears throat> and uh so we started shooting them and then because we had to cut down on that they were giving away our position too much we couldn't sneak anywhere at night and i remember it was strange because and not this isn't this doesn't this isn't uh typical of everyone, but a lot of us foot mobile guys didn't give a shit when somebody shot a dog. We were just like, those things give away our position. We're out here sneaking around, busting our ass, and those things give away our position every single night, every single day. So we would just shoot them without remorse. Like, no one cared. And somebody shot a dog, and it started just, like, spinning around in circles, like, trying to bite itself or figure out what the hell happened. And you would just see, like, somebody from the mobile, like, jumped out of a Humvee because he was pissed off and, like, put the dog out of his misery by, like, shooting it, like, three or four times. And you could just tell that they were, like, pissed that they had to do that. Which I always thought was kind of interesting because it was, like, different degrees of humanity were lost on different people. And there were some people that took, like, weird pleasure in shooting the dogs or, like, torturing the dogs. Um... I can't remember what platoon first or second, but they were like shooting them with the, uh, the orange Cheeto rounds or they were like hitting them with like flares and stuff, like making it really miserable for the dogs. Um, I want to say that there was one guy that like skinned one of the puppies and was like throwing the puppies off of like roofs and shit, like 
things got pretty dark. People, after losing so many friends and spending so many hours just busting her ass, people needed to take their aggression out, I guess. And I, I never did anything like that. I shot a couple dogs just because I had to. Um, but it wasn't, I didn't take some weird pleasure in it and I didn't torture anything. Um, so that, yeah, that happened like that first day on the north side of the bridge, that guy jumped. I just remember just seeing him cause they're the mobile guys. They didn't give a fuck. They got diesel motors, you know, they're loud as shit going everywhere they go and they get a lot more rest than us. And they later on got like fucking laden shit, but we, um, we didn't give a shit, so we would just keep pushing north, keep clearing, and we, on this, at this time, we also started, or we set up a, um, an outpost up on the north, north, like, the area between Echo Company and Golf that we were, yes, we had overlapping AOs, but it was hard for us to get there, so we put a permanent thing, we put a platoon-sized patrol base there, <clears throat> which was pretty cool. Um, and yeah, the operation, literally nothing happened. It was the biggest show of force waste of, I don't know how much fuel we burned with all those tanks and with all the trucks and with all of us and stuff. But the only enemy action that happened was when they fragged the, uh, company commander's vehicle from behind. That's it. Um, so we went back, so basically we went, it took us a total of 14 days to, to clear the whole city. <clears throat> and then Echo Company and 2-4 took over and kept clearing north. And we just went back to our base. Like, shit was normal. And then we got back in our, in our routine, our schedule. And <clears throat> we, uh, it was freezing. And this is when the temperature, December is when the temperature really dropped off. And I remember it was our first shift at the new TCP when they were like, it was fourth platoon. Cause I remember I borrowed Tellison's sleeping bag, which I eventually lost because fourth platoon ended up at the new outpost up North. So we never saw any, each other. So I just had an, another sleeping bag. But I showed up with just, like, my poncho liner, which those of you who have been in the military know what I'm talking about. They, I guess they call it a wooby now. I had never heard that in my fucking entire life. And I, my dad was a Marine my whole life, and I was a Marine <clears throat> at that point. And I had never heard the term wooby. I, we always just called it a poncho liner. But the poncho liner is, like, the greatest fucking invention ever. It's like a little, I guess, nylon fabric blanket. And I've been in, I've been so cold before and that thing saved me. So that's all I showed up at the new TCP with. And Tellison was like, no, bro, take my black sleeping bag. And so our systems back then, I don't know what they have now, but we had a three bag system. We had the bivy sack, which was like, uh, the like basically like your tent shell that you would sleep inside. So if it was raining, you wouldn't get wet. Then you had a black outer sleeping bag and then a green inner sleeping bag. And I could be getting those mixed up, but basically you have three bags. You have a green one, a black one, and the waterproof one. And the green one is for like temperate climates, you know, when it's kind of warm out. The black one is for like, I've been in 
up at uh, PTA, I've woken up with like ice sheets on my sleeping bag, and all I had was the black one, and I was fine. So they gave me the black one, and holy fucking shit, it was cold. And um, we're we're moving, and for some reason, Lieutenant was with us, <clears throat> and we're you know we're getting close to uh christmas at this point and we um we were out there for christmas and we woke up christmas morning and we're in the the tc so the new tcp location was within sight of the south side of the city probably about 600 700 yards so christmas morning after freezing our nuts off all night and we 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 eventually just had a fire all the time and kept ourselves warm but uh we got woken up by them attacking us from the north and that's the video where or that's the part in the video if you watched it where we've all got like long johns and sweats on that's it none of us are fully ppe'd and so that was kind of cool we felt like vietnam for a day or for the morning <clears throat> and it woke us up and when we all came you know, pouring out, that's where Montana was like, he gave the wrong ADRAC, which I can't even remember what the fuck ADRAC stands for. Maybe it's alert direction range. Uh, I don't know. But uh, basically, an ADRAC is how you, where you tell people where the fire is coming from. And he said, it's coming from the houses on Hoklania Drive. Which Hoklania Drive is the main drag that cuts through Hoklania. And that's the one where, like, the tank was on when we set up the little food place during the clearing operation. And I got up to the berm, and I saw a group of people dressed dark in dark clothes. I couldn't tell how many there were, or what age they were, or who they were. And it was, like, 700 yards, 600 yards, so I didn't, maybe a little bit less, but... I couldn't tell if they were armed or not. It looked like they were armed and like they had just lit us up and they were running away. So I just dumped a mag into the crowd. And they were like stumbling on each other. I don't know if I hit anybody. Um, Nobody came and complained to us. And when we did hit people on accident, we usually helped them out pretty good. Uh, Monte and I talked about that. So if you watch the video without the music and the full video not edited at all you hear our lieutenant being a bitch (laughs) and you hear him complaining and asking if we had positive id and he's like screaming like do you guys have positive id what are you shooting at he's like freaking out because he's worried he's gonna get in trouble for accidentally hurting somebody or something and we're all just getting some we're like fuck it and we don't care and we actually like kind of ignore him for a minute or two and we're just continuing to shoot and we're like fuck you kind of and eventually we stop shooting and we it's christmas so the whole point was they're going to bring a squad out so that we could head back to the base and get christmas dinner and that is one thing that they did a really good job about um is holidays like thanksgiving we got a real thanksgiving meal and christmas we got a real christmas meal and on the marine corps birthday they brought kegs i wasn't there but they brought kegs for everybody for the marine corps birthday 
And maybe you gave him, they might have even gotten steak and lobster, which is what you're supposed to get. But uh, we go back to the base, and we do our little Christmas thing, and we each got like a gift from the wives or from the families. You know, some DVDs and shit like that, whatever, for Christmas, which was kind of cool. I think I got Men in Black 2 or something on DVD, or Men in Black on DVD. But uh, <clears throat> as soon as we're done, our staff sergeant just flips the fuck out and just starts destroying us. Making, you know, like throwing our shit around in our hooch like we're at boot camp. He's freaking out. He's like, I saw the fucking video. You guys aren't listening to the goddamn lieutenant. He told you to cease fire and you guys kept shooting. And he just fucks our shit up. So it's like, yay, we get driven back to the base. We get fucking Christmas meal. Everybody's in a good mood. And then Staff Sergeant Sandman crushes our dreams. And then we get sent back out to, uh, to the TCP. So then we're back out there. Because it was just for the day that we came back. And the squad that was out there came back. And... That night, we, I want to say that we were out there, and the mobile unit got stuck. Because another thing that started happening towards the middle of the deployment when the weather changed was the air would become red. And so you had air quality, green, yellow, red, just like a stoplight. And, uh, and green meant... Everything can fly, especially, and this especially affects rotary aircraft, because helicopters, like, they're dangerous, <laughs> in the civilian world and in the military especially, is they barely fly. They, and it, if you fly on one long enough, you will be in a crash. That's basically the rule with fucking helicopters. I mean, look at Kobe, he fucking got toasted. But, uh, so... When the air is yellow, they basically, they cut down all non-emergency uh, non or non-priority flights. So, you know, a lot of, you know, remember how I flew from the dam to Al-Assad in a helicopter? Like, that flight would be canceled. That flight would be pushed on if the air was yellow. And then air is red. And medevacs will still fly if air is yellow. But if air is red, then they will not even fly. So usually what we do is we just hunker down. Like if you're outside the wire, then you hunker down. So yeah, you, you'd, you'd hunker down. And if you're inside the wire and about to leave the wire, then you wouldn't go on your patrol. And I think what happened that night after they went to drop us back off of the TCP was the, um, <clears throat> the mobile unit got stuck with us because they couldn't drive, they couldn't leave the wire, in quotations, because air had gone red. And I remember we were, we were like overcrowded, we had too many people to sleep inside the TCP, so I was sleeping on the ground in the, in the black sleeping bag, like right outside the door of the TCP, and it started fucking snowing, like that's how cold it was, and we were all just like, man, not expecting that. Um, and another thing that happened, I guess I forgot this was, so I was on post with Washington Christmas Eve and at midnight, basically people started fucking around and I did, I did my own thing. Um, 
later on in the deployment, but everyone sort of started just like looking for an excuse to blow something up or shoot something or light something on fire or, you know, slash cars, tires. Like everyone just became super rebellious and fucked up. Well, Washington wanted to shoot his grenade launcher. And so at midnight, Washington shoots his 203 out into the desert and it blows up. And first squad over at K3 called it in on the radio and was like, oh my God, we heard an explosion over by the TCP. Because their squad leader was a little skittish too. Um, Kind of a weird guy. I'll get into him later. But uh, he was real skittish. He called it in and then they asked us if we were okay. We're like, yeah, we didn't hear anything. (laughs) So we we became like huge pieces of shit. And then once that, I remember like midnight happens, he shoots off the 203 and it's like, it's so quiet. And he shoots, it's like, boom. And we wait for what seems like forever to see the flash and hear the noise of the grenade. Like, he must have launched that thing, like, maximum range. Because it, it, it seriously had so much hang time. And as soon as it blew up, up in the north, I think Echo's AO, all of a sudden we saw six pop-ups. So a pop-up flare is like... There's different versions. You have illumination flares that you can shoot, but they're like pop-ups for us were like these little metal tubes and the cap had a, a, pri- a, a, a firing pin on it and you put the cap on the bottom, which had the primer, and then you smacked it and it shot a flare up in the air. And so you could have different color flares or you could have a white one for illumination, but they had a little parachute on them. And so you'd shoot them up and then they'd parachute down. And so somebody up there shot six of them, three green and three red, alternating like Christmas colors. So it was like midnight, explosion, and then up north there's just like three, or sorry, six flares, red and red and green, floating away. So that was pretty funny. Um, I just had another another thing that I wanted to talk about. Yeah, so during this time, we were still losing guys. Um, We didn't lose anybody. Nobody got wounded during the clearing operation. But as soon as that was over, we were back to normal. People were getting hit left and right. I think that's when... uh, Oh, what the hell was his name? We had this real squirrely guy. um, Scrawny dude. He's the one that, when we showed up as boots in Hawaii, he actually got charged by the Marine Corps because he got such bad... uh, sunburn that they charge him with destruction of government property because <clears throat> he couldn't train so he got page 11 because he fell asleep on the beach and the sun in hawaii is a lot brighter than the sun in camp lejeune north carolina in february where we came from so a lot of us got really sunburned when we first showed up in hawaii but uh he got hit because he he made some mistake and fourth platoon fourth platoon had some discipline issues for sure. And they had this one squad leader. He was a corporal at the time. He eventually became a sergeant. Who was like 40 fucking years old. And he was actually in the operation to uh, go rescue that pilot that got shot down in Bosnia. You know? The one where they made a really inaccurate movie with Owen Wilson. Where he's like a... It's like a serious movie with Owen Wilson. Which is idiotic. But... Um, yeah, he's actually in the book, like, in the picture, saving that pilot, which, I mean, good on him, cool, but he was kind of a squirrely fuck, and he was, I guess he was a scout sniper before he came to 2-3 at some point, or back then, 
And so our CO just had this dude's cock all the way down his throat. Like he was obsessed with this guy. And the day, and I, I meant to talk about this earlier, but the day that um, Riviera was killed by the sniper, he went up on the roof and he took a shot off the roof. <clears throat> and he comes down to the CO and the CO's like, I heard you shoot. Did you get him? And he's like, yeah, I hit him. And the CO's like, all right, get a squad. Let's go get his body. And guard dog was like, no, I don't think I killed him. I think I just wounded him. And the CO's like, all right, we'll get a squad together and go see if you can find some blood trails. And he's like, no, this dude's really good. He probably patched himself up before any blood got on the ground. But, uh, yeah, he get, you know, he probably got away without any traces. And the CO writes him a fucking medal. He got a medal for that. <laughs> he got a Navy Commendation Medal for Valor. And, like, I could be wrong, but that's... I'm pretty sure that he got a Navy Comm for, for that engagement. Where he basically just took a crack randomly into the city, made up a story, and our CO, like, fucking loved him. So he was a squad leader. And I can't remember exactly what part of the city it was, but his squad, 4th Platoon was uh, down somewhere in a house, and Eastburn was his name. Eastburn was kind of a fuck-up, kind of like Runyon that I said. But he, um, the squad leader's like, go outside until you get fucking shot by a sniper. So he just makes him stand out by himself in the open, in the middle of the street, while everyone else is uncover inside the house. And... I don't know if he was joking, but everyone in the squad kind of fed off of guard dog's energy. Like they were all kind of like squirrely like that. And Eastburn got shot. He got hit in the arm and it like fucked his arm all up. So he got medevac during that time that like near Christmas time. Um, another story, and this might've been right before the clearing operation or right after, right around the same time. Up in Bonnie D, I can't remember what platoon it was, but they were moving either north or south up Hocklinia Drive, either to Haditha Zeo or from Haditha Zeo. And a Humvee got nailed by an IED, and like one of the dudes had a double amputee, and a lot of guys were wounded. Like everybody was fucked up. And this one corpsman, I can't remember his name, but he, when you saw him, you didn't think much of him. Like he wasn't super jacked, he wasn't super skinny or like anything he's kind of a pudgy like guy <laughs> less pudgy than i am now but uh he um he became kind of a hero because he and then they also got ambushed so they were taking fire and the tanks were rolling and he grabbed he grabbed the guy those wmpt and grabbed another wounded guy threw him on top of the tank that was rolling through the city in a firefight and hooked up IVs on the guys and, like, saved the, both their, their lives on the top of a tank while they're rolling through <clears throat> enemy fire. So that's pretty dope. And he got he got a medal for that. And I... Because he was a map corpsman. Because um, a map corpsman is, like, when we're about to deploy, they know we need corpsmen. And we didn't have enough from the Marine Corps. So we actually just borrowed some from the Navy clinic on K-Bay, on the base. And so we took some volunteers that's where my first squad's corpsman came from and he was a great dude he saved riley and uh kreiser and he saved other people 
later in the deployment. But yeah, so it was, he he said that when they went back to the clinic, and you know, a Navy Achievement Medal is a pretty low medal, but he got a Navy Achievement Medal with a V on it, which stands for Valor. And in the Navy, not the corpsmen, they get they get Navy Achievement Medals or NAMs, how we call them, NAMs. They get NAMs for like. When they're at the clinic, they immunized well for nine months, or they immunized seventy percent of the, <clears throat> the company, and shit like that. Like, so when they read his, apparently people were like not able to keep their composure. They were kind of giggling and shit because it's like Jesus Christ, like what the fuck, like war hero. <laughs> but um, yeah, I can't remember his fucking name. Uh, but uh. Yeah, I think that's a good time to stop. I think uh, I think I'm gonna let you go. We're getting right at 49 minutes, but uh, I'd like to say again, thank you to Bambi and Luigi. Um, it means a lot. This is cool. Um, if you'd like to help out, also, then check out the Patreon link below. Um, if this is on YouTube, then please like, share, subscribe uh, if you enjoy it. But uh, have a good night, and thank you for listening.